0: Amen. Shoo. That was good, church. That was awesome. Uh, y'all just, y'all give our worship band a hand. Man, praise God. Praise God. Didn't help. It's one of my faves. Uh, didn't hurt at all. Didn't hurt at all. Uh, also, I want to give some recognition. Did this in the first service, uh, mostly because I usually botch sound equipment. Um, our tech team, y'all, is second to none. So would y'all give them a hand clap? They don't get a lot of praise. I was told the tech team is are the people that you only recognize when something goes wrong and then everybody in the entire church turns and looks at them. So uh, you, you got looked at, Clay, for good reasons, so that's good. Uh, we are really, really glad uh, to have you guys here. I do want to address something to give you an update on what we shared last week. Um, we are really excited because we are going to resume our optional child care, birth through fourth grade, next week. Uh, everybody uh, that, we, we had someone test positive a couple weeks back. Uh, for COVID, uh, they were wearing a mask following all of our safety protocols. And there's a couple ways to look at that. One is, you know, oh my goodness, somebody had, had COVID. The other way is... Uh, our protocols work. We have not had any person that has had any further uh, symptoms that had contact with this person. Uh, and so we are really, really excited uh, about that. And we're excited that we're able to, After now that we've been cautious and been careful, uh, we're excited to let you guys know that optional child care is, is coming back next week. So we're really excited about that. I think it's important as a church to develop rhythm, of a church. That's the thing about COVID is it's just kind of ruptured everybody's rhythm of of everything. And and part of the rhythm of a church, you know, is childcare. That that's part of part of the, what the church does. And 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 along with that, we've seen baptism after baptism. I think it's so cool uh, that today we are talking about one ordinance of the church, and you got to witness. The, the other ordinance of the church, the one of the other two uh, witness, uh, ordinances of the church you got to witness in the baptistry today through baptism. So through Luke following obedience. So really neat how God is doing that. Baptism is another one of those rhythms. Us as a church, as a growing church, we better... We better get excited about a rhythm in our church of baptism. That is people being changed from death to life. And no, baptism doesn't save us, but baptism is that first step of obedience. So not only have they accepted Christ, but they are walking in obedience to Christ. And so as I would pray for Luke and, and any of those that get baptized, I pray that this step is a first step of an entire lifetime Of walking in obedience to Christ. And so, man, we're excited about the life that's going on in our church. One of the things that we talk about when we talk about rhythm is the Lord's Supper. And so today we are going to tackle the Lord's Supper. I would venture as far as to say that most people have not spent the time to understand the significance of why we take the Lord's Supper. Uh, and so we're gonna look at that. We're gonna look at Jewish background. We're gonna look at what it meant for a Jew to take of the, the, partake of the Seder Supper, of the Passover Supper. We're gonna look through that and we're gonna see where we arrive as the New Testament church taking the Lord's Supper. It's an ordinance for us as a church ordained by God for His church to do together. The first is baptism and the second is the Lord's Supper. And so we have not taken Lord's Supper. To our shame, we have not taken the Lord's Supper since COVID locked everything down when we were at the gym. And so we are getting back into that rhythm. And so I want to celebrate that by by really allowing all of us the opportunity to understand what God was doing and what Jesus was doing when he instituted this Lord's Supper. And so if you got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 22. I'll say this too, we do have child care available next week. Uh, for this week, we make child packets available. So if your child is here, um, we have packets of material that coincide with what we're doing as a church. We're talking about the Lord's Supper. They have activities and cool crafts. Man, they do a great, great job. Those will continue, by the way, cause if you don't have to use our child care. And so those will still be there available over the weeks to come. But kids, don't, don't, uh, Make sure you grab one of those and have a good time with us as we study God's Word together, alright? But Luke chapter 22 is where we're going to be. We've discussed at length the idea of baptism and why baptism is important. We had a special baptism service and uh, got the cattle trough out, right? The watering trough out. And we're not doing that now. Baptisms look a little different in here. But it's the same exact picture. But the second ordinance is the Lord's Supper. And so let's look at that uh, beginning in chapter 15. We're going to look at the Last Supper. Now understand the Last Supper and the Passover Are, are different. When we say the Lord's Supper, we're, we're not necessarily talking about Passover, the Passover Seder Supper, but let's look at the Last Supper. Now the Last Supper is a point in history. It is when Jesus gathered His disciples together in the upper room and they broke bread together. And so we're gonna zoom in on that experience. Here's the problem when, when we read God's Word with just our context. When we read God's Word with just our context, things that are very familiar to us, we tend to gloss over. And so because many of us, if you are, have accepted Christ and you've taken the Lord's Supper, have probably read some of these scriptures. But let's understand, we want to understand today the implications of that. And so to do that, we are going to enter the upper room with Jesus and his disciples and see what Jesus was saying and how they would have been revolutionary to the time. Matter of fact, they would have, they would have gone to battle the Jews would have gone to battle for some of the things that Jesus said in the Last Supper. So the first thing we're going to look at, point A, subpoint point A. I'm not sure why I decided to go to letters this week, but I did. And so we're going to look at the experience. All right? We're going to look at the experience. Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 15. We're also going to be in 1 Corinthians 11 toward the end. Uh, as well. So Luke chapter 22 verse 15. Listen to what it says. We're in the room, in the upper room, gathered together with the disciples about to eat a meal. And Jesus said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Father, God, bless your word. Give us clarity. Give us hearts to receive. uh, Give us ears to hear. God, your message communicated through your word. In your holy name we pray. Amen and amen. So the disciples and Jesus were having a meal in the upper room. Now. When you study this passage of Scripture, one of the things that you find is this is one of the most intensely debated topics in the New Testament by scholars and, you know, biblical nerds, which, you know, I'm a theology nerd here, all right? I'm going to nerd out for just a minute, all right? This is one of the, the fiercest debated topics that we see in the New Testament um, and and from biblical scholars that... From all walks of life, conservative, liberal, all of those, there's there's question about what happens here. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're known as the Synoptic Gospels. They seem to identify that Jesus was eating Passover with his disciples, okay? that he was eating passover with them. In fact, Luke is the clearest why we use this text of scripture. Luke is the clearest in that. He uses the word, the Hebrew word for passover. He uses the pascha. It is it he was excited Jesus desired earnestly to eat the passover, the pascha with the disciples. The problem with this is John, the book of John seems to record that Jesus is crucified on Lamb Preparation Day. Now, to understand the, the, the problem here, you've got to understand a little bit about Jewish culture. Part of Passover, which was an entire festival over many, many days, there was a Lamb Preparation Day. The Lamb Preparation Day was when the people would take their lambs that they were sacrificing and they would take them to the temple. They take them to the temple, they would be killed, um, atonement would be made for their sins. Uh, this was a historical day for them. It'd be like how we would look differently at someone who was celebrating Christmas on December the 20th, 20, uh, 26th. We would, we would look differently on them because we know Christmas falls December 25th. Like that's, that's, that's Christmas. Right? And so, and so it was a day on the Jewish calendar, lamb preparation day to be concluded that night or the next day, according to Jews, depending on how they look at the calendar, uh, with the Passover meal. The lamb would be prepared and they would eat, as part of their Passover supper, they would eat the lamb that they had made sacrifice of earlier that day. And so in that context, if Jesus was killed on, lamb pre- on the lamb preparation day, how is it that, which the Lamb Preparation Day would lead to Passover, how is it that Jesus was eating Passover the night before? Well, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And I'll just tell you, my opinion, combined with a dollar, will buy you a Coke. Like, it, it ain't worth much, okay? Okay. But I'll just tell you what I feel like to be a logical solution to this based on what we see in God's Word and how we we view what Jesus is telling His disciples. Here's a possible solution. Uh, I believe that Jesus was partaking of the Lord's Supper, or partaking, excuse me, of Passover a day early. Now, this would have been unthinkable for a Jew. But we're gonna see this did not end the pattern of unthinkable things that Jesus did with that Passover meal. He continues to do unthinkable things later, right? He messes it all up. I mean, he messes the whole order of everything. The word Seder, which they call the Passover a Seder supper. Seder literally means order. You know, and so, and so Jesus messes the order of everything up. Uh, right, and how he approaches it. And so I believe that they were taking it more than likely a day early because what did Jesus know was going to happen to him? Jesus knew that he would be crucified. He knew that he wouldn't be around to celebrate with his disciples. And so what did he say there? I've earnestly desired, earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So I know I'm going to be suffering right, during when when the Passover would be, right, so I know that I'm not going to be with you, so I want to celebrate, I want this community, I want this fellowship with you, and by the way, I've got some things to teach you before I go and suffer. So, we've seen the experience, they're gathered together in the room, right, maybe a day early, Probably confusing most of the Jew, the Jews at the time, most of the disciples at that time, they were probably very confused about this, but Jesus was teaching them something and so let 's look secondly at the elements number number letter b the elements all right luke chapter twenty two verse nineteen, and Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks. He broke it and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, that's important, saying, This cup is poured out for you. This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Now, for all of us 21st century Christians, we read that passage and go, well, yeah, that's what Jesus said. That's what he said to the disciples. He was teaching them. This is my new covenant. This is good. We miss a vital element, a jarring element to what Jesus is saying. And for Jesus to say what he said in Luke 22, 19, and 20 would have been some of the most groundbreaking, earth-shattering things that the disciples had ever heard to this point. Jesus is claiming something through this that we have to see, and so here's what we know: the whole Seder supper means order, right? The Seder supper means order. I brought more than one. My, my drummer is figuring, wondering how I broke one and still have now have a whole one. Uh, I brought more than one. Brett, uh, he was his mind was blown. He wouldn't have heard another thing I said if I didn't tell him that. Uh, the Lord, I blessed it and put it back together. Um, it's not how it works. All right. His mind was... I'm telling you, his mind was blown, y'all. It's blown. Uh, so, uh, I digress. So, the word Seder means order. Everything in the Seder Supper was supposed to point back to a single event, which was... Passover. Passover. It was to mark and remember when, G- when God led the Hebrew people... By the way, I'm going to call them Israelites over and over tonight. They were not... Uh, today, they're not Israelites... They weren't in Israel. They were the Hebrew people, born by birth, Jewish people. The Hebrews brought them out of slavery. And so the Passover was a reminder of when they put the blood on the doorposts of their homes and the death angel passed over the houses of those that had the blood, those that were Jews, those that were Hebrew of the Hebrew faith. They They passed over their homes, right? By the way, if they didn't put it on them, whether they were... Egyptian or Hebrew or not, the death angel came and the firstborn was killed. And so this is to celebrate and to commemorate Passover. One of the parts of the Passover, and there is symbolism all throughout it, and we don't have time to cover every element, I promise, okay? Uh, but all throughout the Seder Supper, there is semblance and there is symbolism pointing back to that day, that evening, that night. And so one of them is the partaking of the matzah. This is matzah. It is unleavened bread, and by the way, you can buy it at Publix. I didn't know that, but you can. Uh, we're shopping is a pleasure. So you can enjoy going to get you some matzah. I don't recommend it's not exactly delicious, uh, from Publix. And so uh, the matzah, the breaking of the matzah and the partaking of the matzah, the eating of the matzah was a part of the Jewish ceremony that was the Seder supple. Now Supper. Now there was a time that they would break the matzah they would hide part of it uh, and, and all of those sorts of things. But this is the eating of the bread. This is where we find ourselves in, in verse 19. They took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and he gave it to them. The bread was symbolic of a couple things. Number one, it was symbolic of slavery. This bread is hard. It's a cracker. It's a wafer. It Crumbles. It's it's not soft, and and so it would remind them of slavery. Also, as they would begin to eat it, you had to eat all of it, right? And I don't know if you've ever eaten a cracker for any amount of time without chasing it with any water, which you weren't allowed to do in the Seder supper. But it becomes difficult to eat, right? It becomes difficult to swallow. This was a reminder to all of the Jewish people, to all the Hebrews. ...of the slavery that they endured in Egypt. It was difficult. It was hard. But the bread doesn't just symbolize that. The matzah didn't just symbolize that. Because it also symbolized freedom. Let's turn in our Bibles to Exodus 12. Exodus 12, or you can follow along on our notes on the screen. Let's look at the the period of of, of what happened... ...that caused this to be a reflection of their freedom... Listen to what it says, Exodus 12, verse 39. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt. For it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait. Nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. When the death angel passed over, thus God working through that to cause Pharaoh to allow the, the Hebrew people to leave. They left in such a hurry that they didn't even have time to let the bread rise. right? To put yeast in it, to let the bread rise. That's what the leaven is. And so they left with a bunch of unleavened bread to make a bunch of matzah. That was all they had was crackers. That was what they left with. They didn't make provisions and they left with whatever they had. But they left in such a hurry that they, all they had to eat was unleavened bread. But it was a symbol to them Although there were things about it that obviously weren't great, like it doesn't taste good, it was a symbol to them that they, of them being set free from Egypt. They were getting out of there. They weren't letting, letting time go by. They left as soon as they possibly could. So quickly, in fact, they didn't even give bread time to rise. And so when they come to the portion of this in the Seder Supper, this is the blessing that you would hear. This is the blessing of the matzah in English. All right, listen to what it says. We praise you, God, ruler of everything, who brings bread from the land. We praise God, the ruler of everything, who made us holy through obligations, commanding us to eat matzah. Commanding us to eat of the unleavened bread. Thank you, God, for the bread that you provide and for giving us your obligations so that we could be in connection with you. What were they thanking him for? They were thanking him for the law. Thank you for giving us a way to have some type of contact with you. It was done through the law. And so the bread was a reminder to them, yes, of their slavery, but also their freedom, and that God had given them a way to distinguish themselves amongst, from any other people in the earth. They had a connection with God that was distinct from anyone else because God had given Israel the law. He gave them the law, and so it was thanking God for that. But that's not how Jesus blessed the bread. Let's look back in verse 19. Jesus broke it and he gave it to them saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this and remember to me. At this moment, every disciple's chin would have hit the ground. This, what is what is Jesus doing? The Seder Supper isn't something you go off script on, but Jesus is improvising, right? No, he knows exactly what's happening. And instead of blessing God for the law, thank you for your obligations, God, and for the opportunity to eat this bread. He's saying, boys, listen, we're up in the game today. This bread is no longer symbolic of the law that gives us a measly connection with Jesus with God, this is my body that was that is that will be broken for you Jesus the law was god's way of allowing the people of Israel a connection with God. And what Jesus was doing was claiming to be the new connection between God and his people. In doing that, he was putting himself, which nobody would have the audacity to do at that time, especially being a Jew by birth, to put themselves in equal standing with the law. He said, listen, no longer do you have to be obligated to abide by a law to receive a connection from jesus but if you will eat of my body if you will partake of me you will have a relationship with god he was claiming to be greater than the law but he doesn't stop there because he also took the cup and verse 20 tells us he took the cup after they had eaten For the Seder supper, there were four different cups. The first cup was a cup of blessing. First cup, they would, they would bless it. It was kind of, uh, blessing the entire proceeding, the entire dinner that they had together. Um, the, the first cup, uh, was a blessing over the meal. The second cup would, they would retell the Passover story. They would retell what happened when the death angel passed over and how the people of Israel were delivered out of captivity. The third cup was the cup of redemption. When, Jesus, when God didn't just leave the nation of Israel to fend for themselves after they left Egypt, but He supernaturally delivered them by letting them pass through the Red Sea. This was the cup of redemption. And so for us, what we believe is that the third cup was the cup that Jesus hoisted up and he said, Boys, this is the new covenant in my blood. Going completely off script. But we, the, the four cups, they follow, a, they follow an outline laid out in Scripture. So if you're still in Exodus, turn to Exodus 6, verses 7, 6 and 7. Exodus 6, 6 and 7. Listen what it says, these four cups follow four I wills that God is telling His people. Four I wills, alright? Say therefore to the people of Israel, verse 6, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. The first cup was a celebration of the bringing out of the people. It was, it was I will bring out. That was, that was the I will that they were celebrating with the first cup. The second cup was a following when it says, I will bring out the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. And so they told of the story of the Passover, how they were delivered from slavery as they drank from the second cup. But then we come to the third cup. And it says, And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will redeem you. And so during the telling of the Passover, when they came to the third cup, they would would talk about how Jesus had supernaturally saved them. Because here's the deal. If Pharaoh would have just allowed them to go, and that was it, when Pharaoh reneged on that offer a little bit later, once they pursued them, there would have been some Israelites die. there would have been some Hebrews that would have died right, trying to defend their freedom, but they'd have just been brought right back into slavery. You don't mess with Egypt at that time, right? There was no chance of victory, but for God to not only provide a way out of the land of Egypt... But when their enemy pursued them, as soon as they stepped foot on dry land, the seas collapsed in on their enemies. It wasn't just that God saved them from slavery. God destroyed the opposition that was against them. He destroyed it. He got rid of it. He got rid of the Egyptians, Pharaoh, and... And his army. And so listen. So the third cup is the cup of redemption. That God had saved Israel. That God had defeated their opponents. The typical blessing over the third cup would sound something like this. They would lift it high and they would say, We thank you, Lord our God, for having given us, as a heritage to our fathers, a precious, good, and spacious land. For having brought us out, Lord our God, for the land of Egypt and redeemed us from the house of slaves. For your, for your covenant, which you have sealed in our flesh. For your Torah, your law, which you have taught us. And for your statutes, which you have made known to us. God, you brought us out. You destroyed all of our enemies. You purchased us. And then you gave us a law to live by to maintain that connection. When Jesus gets to the third cup though he blows it all out of the water. He looks at it and he says boys I know what I'm supposed to say but that ain't what I'm saying tonight. I've earnestly desired to eat this meal with you because I want to tell you not only is this bread, this matzah my body but this third cup of redemption, you haven't known redemption until you experience my redemption. This is the new covenant in my blood. I'm purchasing you. The word redemption, it deals with currency and with transactions, it's a financial term. He said, I'm purchasing you, and what I'm purchasing for you it's not just the people i am purchasing you i'm using as currency my blood to not just save you from slavery but to forever release you from your sin i am giving you guaranteed victory through my blood the reason why we celebrate the lord's supper is because Jesus went off script to tell us He is the bread. He is the provision. He is our salvation. And He has purchased us with His blood. So when we partake of it as the church, as the church, as we partake of it, we testify that Jesus was who He says it was. Only the Messiah could make those claims. Could change up a Seder supper, but Jesus did it. Jesus did it for us to have an example to follow. And then you may be thinking, well, Alan, you've addressed three cups, you've not touched on the fourth. The fourth cup in Exodus chapter 6, verse 7 says this I will take you to be my people. The people of Israel. Believe that to mean in the last days when God would restore Israel to the place of prominence. And if you believe and, and you approach the end times that way, uh, one of the viewpoints is that is what Jesus will do. This one that I favor, that, that, that he, will, uh, he will gather Israel to himself and to the place of prominence that they once were. And even greater than that, that he would gather them together. They will be my people. They will be restored. But Jesus says, I'm not just talking about a nation. I'm talking about every tribe, tongue, and nation. I'm talking about everyone who will taste of me, everyone who will experience my new covenant that was purchased in my blood. This is what we see in the Lord's Supper. right In the Last Supper, the first time it was ever instituted, and so for us, it's not wrong to partake in the Seder Supper. It's not wrong. It's symbolic of a time... Back then, but it is wrong to take the Seder Supper without understanding its fulfillment as Jesus. We don't have to provide our own Passover lamb. We don't have to provide a Passover lamb to cover our sins for a year. But Jesus is the Passover lamb. And if John is correct, and Jesus was sacrificed on Lamb Preparation Day, the same day that people were marching their lambs, their puny little pathetic lambs, in to be sacrificed, Jesus was dying on the cross. God's perfect lamb was dying on the cross, being the sacrifice for sin forever. He is our Passover lamb. He is one up what we see in the Seder Supper, and so what he's instituted is the Lord's Supper, his body, and his blood. And so secondly, let's look at the Lord's Supper. Real quick. First Corinthians chapter eleven, verse twenty three. We see the last supper, let's look at the Lord's Supper. Paul says to the church of Corinth, For I have received from the Lord what I have delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so first, this Lord's Supper is a meal of celebration. What does he say there? Do all of this in remembrance of me. What are we remembering? We're remembering that we weren't just passed over from judgment. We remember that we weren't just saved from slavery. We remember that we just weren't delivered from our enemies physically. But we have, this is all reality to us eternally. And so we celebrate what Jesus did to do that for us. This is the Lord's Supper. And so we as the church celebrated it. it's why it's why those that have not accepted Christ as lord and savior and been baptized partake of the lord's supper otherwise it's us condoning and saying hey listen the body and the blood of Christ speaks for you when if you haven't come to a relationship with Christ that is not reality and so secondly we see that it's a meal of proclamation it's a meal of proclamation. What I love, J.D. Greer said this, and I thought it was so, so good. He said, The Lord's Supper is a reminder that together, before God, every believer is equally sinful and equally loved. We are sinful, and our sins require the body and blood of Christ. But we are loved because Jesus gave it. He gave it for us. And so this is the message That we proclaim. Our partaking of the Lord's Supper should be a testimony to the lost. For those that don't have a relationship with Christ. That aren't tied to a body of believers. If that's not true of you. Then to take of this Lord's Supper would be a farce. It would be a lie. Right? Because the body of Christ has spoken for me. The blood of Christ has spoken for me. When God looks at me. He doesn't see my sin. He sees his son's blood. He sees forgiveness. He sees the sacrifice. And so for us to take the Lord's Supper in here, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, let this serve as a proclamation to you to be reconciled to God, to experience, not so that you can eat a very tasteless wafer and some bad grape juice, but so you can experience community in the body of Christ, in his bride. And then thirdly and finally, it's a meal of anticipation he says in verse 26, drink the cup, in doing that and drink eating the bread and drinking the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We are awaiting a savior. God has appeared to us But He is not done with us. God is returning. And for us as the church, testifying and understanding that God is coming back for us, we take the Lord's Supper, we eat of the bread, we drink of the cup, to remind ourselves that He's coming back. And so today I want to give you the opportunity to do that. So if you would, if you're here in this place and you have a relationship with the Lord and you have been baptized... You don't have to be a member of Lindsey Lane North. You don't have to be a member of a Baptist church. But if you've been saved and baptized, I want you to be able to participate with us in the taking of the Lord's Supper. And it says right after that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, to let a man examine himself. And so I want to give you just a moment. I want to give you in quiet reflection and prayer before God, I want to give you an opportunity to get right with Him. Whatever it is in your life, if there's anything that is separating you from the Lord, I want you to be able to get right with Him today. Would you just do that? Would you repent of what's been going on in your life, ways that you've fallen short to make us ready to worship God in this way? Would you do that? Father, we thank you for the forgiveness that's found through your son's blood, purchased for us, redeemed for us. And Lord, we love you, and we look forward to your coming again. Now, Lord, as we commune together as your body, let us remember you and remember what you've done for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. Now, housekeeping note. You need to peel off the first clear layer of cellophane. All right, before you get into these things, otherwise you'll have some issues. All right, clear that first layer off will get you the wafer, get to, give you access to the wafer. And then if you'll peel the little piece of tin back, aluminum foil there back, um, you can have, you'll have access to the juice. But Paul says, I've, delivered, I've, I've, I've received from the Lord what I've delivered to you, right? This is what he says. Jesus said there so many years ago, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then he said, This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Christ, maybe you weren't able to participate in what we have just done as the body of Christ. I want you to know that God has made himself available to every man, woman, boy and girl in this room. So if you don't have a relationship with Christ, don't put off. Don't put off the decision to commit your life to Him. God loves you. God sent His Son. The New Testament, the Lord's Supper, is a remembrance of what Jesus did for us. God sent His Son to live a sinless life, to die on a cross. He died for my sins and He died for your sins. And He rose from the dead three days later, proving who He was. And if we believe that, we can be saved. And so there are counselors that are here in this room that would love to meet with you. If you need to know that you have a relationship with Christ... Maybe you're unsure, or maybe you're sure that you don't. Whatever it is, I pray that you would respond in the next few moments. Maybe you're here, and maybe you need to get your baptism in orders. We've seen Luke already follow in obedience. Maybe you need to follow in obedience. Maybe you've been saved, but you need to follow in believer's baptism. That's the order. Saved and then baptized, a symbol of what Christ has done in your life. Thirdly and finally, maybe, maybe you just need to talk to Somebody. Whatever decision that you need to make today, I pray that you would put it off no longer. God loves you. God desires relationship with you. Would you respond to him in this moment? Father God, we we love you. Give us boldness. Lord to follow you wherever you lead. Give us boldness to stand. Give us boldness to make the decisions we need to make for you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. With every head and heart still bowed, if that's you and you need to make a decision for Christ, would you just stand? Would you stand to your feet and come to the front? We've got counselors that would love to talk to you. We'll take you in the back, show you what we need to do from there. But would you just respond? Would you just stand to your feet? I need to make a decision for Christ. I need to salvate, I need to be saved. I need to be baptized. I need to join the church. Whatever whatever decision needs to be made would you just stand to your feet right now nobody looking around would you just stand right now find one of these counselors that are here at the front would you respond would you respond to God's invitation I need to do business with God is that you is that you the other way that you can respond especially if you're listening online is you can access our Connect card by texting North Connect to 31996, uh, and you can let us know electronically that you made a decision today. We've had people do that. Man, God has moved in awesome ways through technology, and so we're excited and celebrating that, and that people have made life changing decisions by proxy, right, over the internet. And so uh, we're excited about that. And if you've done that, let us know. But if you're here in this room, you've got that Connect card, please let somebody know. Those, Those boxes are there at the bottom. Check one of those if you made a decision today or if you need to talk to somebody and we will be sure to follow up with you on that. Father God, we thank you for your body and we thank you for your blood and we thank you for the community that we find in being children of yours. Lord, we love you. And God, we thank you that That you didn't leave us in our sin. You didn't leave us in obligation. But God, you came and you made us new in you. And so let the redeemed of the Lord say so. As we proclaim you this week to a lost and dying world. Give us power, give us boldness. Lord, to profess you before others. To draw all men to yourself. Lord, we love you. Thank you for this time of worship. It's in Christ's name we pray.